0: Oh, and welcome back to the Season of Sam Podcast with Sam Darnold. I'm your host, Yogi Roth, and thanks for all the support on this podcast. Keep in mind, if you check it out, subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts or any podcast player you enjoy. And, of course, for all updates, go to usctrojans.com. Here with Sam Darnold. Sam, coming off a nice win over Oregon State. Curious for you guys, (sighs) locker room, when the game ends... What is it like after a workman-like game that was this past weekend?
1: Yeah, uh, well, first first off, it was awesome to, you know, finally be able to bounce back from that tough loss at Washington State. Um, and I think, you know, in the locker room, it was just, uh, it was nice to just be able to feel that joy again. You know, it's it sucks losing. And um, when you have to live with that for a whole week, it's, it, you know, it sucks even more. Uh, but definitely in the locker room afterwards, after the game, it was uh, just relief to finally feel like we got back on our feet a little bit. And it was good to um, kind of correct some mistakes that we made in Washington State game. And um, it was also good to get the uh, young O-linemen and receivers in there uh, for some experience at the end.
0: I can remember, you know, many moons ago when I was playing this beautiful game of football. Around this time of every year, it would kind of border on this is a job versus this is so much fun. Does that ever happen? Has that happened to you, or do you think this team, because of all the stuff that your season's gone through—a recent loss, coming back with a workmanlike game, not the most efficient game of all time—and um, if so, how do you guys deal with that? And if not, why not?
1: Yeah, um, you know, sometimes it can feel like a job, uh, just because it's such a grind throughout the week. Uh, but I think I think Coach Helton and our staff really—you know—I think they do a great job of. Um, making it as much fun as possible, and I think you have to, um, you know, throughout the whole season because it is a grind. And um, especially, you know, with um, midterms coming up, um, you know, it's, it's hard. And it can be hard to balance things out and be able to watch the amount of film that I want to watch um, personally and also be able to, you know, be on point for my midterms. So um, it's definitely it's grind time right now um, in the season. But, you know, I think we're ready, and um, I think everyone on the team is really on board with um, just getting after it and continuing to work hard uh, day in and day out every single week. Can you believe that it? it's October already? Right. It's crazy. It's it's flying by, honestly, and uh, that's one of the things I was talking about with uh, my roommates last night. It was just um, it really has flown by. Like when I think about spring ball and then, you know, I think about, all the good times in the summer, you know, summer workouts and PRPs and then fall camp. And all of a sudden, you know, we're halfway through the season. And, um, you know, we're still in control of our of our own destiny. And it's gonna be interesting, you know, um, what certain cha- what uh, challenges might, you know, um, you know, be in the way of what we wanna reach. But it's, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I know our whole team is as well.
0: You know, training camp, as you know, um, and anybody knows who's been around the game, is the time when a team comes together and gels, right? That's the cliche. But the truth is, specifically like offensive linemen, timing of receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks, that's when it all happens. Now here you guys are with kind of a new offensive line, right? You got a bunch of new guys, some new receivers, freshman tight end. How have you tried to make sure that you can create that gel and that unity in limited individual time, limited one-on-ones? You know, there are no more PRPs and Sunday throwing sessions that exist. You have the time you reference to prepare for each game.
1: Yeah, um, I think a a big part of that is staying positive with them. Uh, Just, you know, being – and obviously, I think there's a fine line between staying positive and also – Um, letting them know when they're wrong and when they need to correct something in their route and telling them hey you know that's my fault I gotta put the ball in this spot you know you were right on that route and you know vice versa hey you need to be here Um, maybe cut your steps down a little bit Um, maybe splits anything like that just correcting any little nuances because and as we saw in the film room yesterday um, you know looking at the film from Oregon State uh there were, there were a little bit of, um, you know, misalignments that I could have fixed as a quarterback um, that, that would have helped, you know, the timing. And I think when I look at it as a quarterback, those are things I got to fix. And I put that on myself and um, little things like that that I, I could be better at um, that would really help um, the flow of the game and the flow of the offense. What's, like, the
0: internal checklist like,
1: right? Because I think for, for listeners, I think it's important to understand, like, how quick
0: things happen in a game, right? You guys are trying to go fast, right. obviously. So you get the play from the sideline, however you get it, and all of a sudden it's alignment, it's your assignment, it's what's the defense doing, it's, hey, does my freshman offensive lineman know what he's doing? Is the tight end aligned right? For you, do you have a checklist that you kind of go through to make sure, okay, all right, now I'm good?
1: Yeah, um, I definitely do have a checklist, uh, but I think also... A lot of that is trust and just being able to trust the guys around me because I'm not going to be able to check everyone, and they know that, and everyone knows that. But um, and you know they're capable of being able to you know do things themselves and being able to align themselves, and, and they align perfectly on you know most of the plays, and um, a lot of the plays did work out the way we wanted them to, and I think that showed with the final score too, is um, thirty-eight to ten. That's a good win, a good team win against a great Oregon State team. So we were happy with the outcome. Um, little things you got to correct and little things that I have to correct to be a better quarterback. But I think we're on the way, and I'm just excited for the journey ahead. How about the journey of some
0: of our guests on this podcast? Seahawks coming to L.A. in your stadium, steal a win yeah. over the weekend. The Dodgers, your boy is balling right now. Yep. Is it kind of interesting to to have these intimate conversations, and then all of a sudden you're watching the Dodgers advance, the Seahawks <laughs> continue to win, etc.? Yeah.
1: yeah, it's... Uh, it's fun to be able to get that perspective from different guys in their in their crafts, I guess, and their professions. It's it's awesome to see, you know, their mindsets, what they're thinking about, you know, every single day, and um, you know how much thought they really put into every little detail in their craft, and to watch them perfect it um, during a game or during you know crunch time of you know, the NL, NLDS or whatever it is. Um, it's awesome to be able to see him put it to work. So excited for our next guy. Our guest has has put in the work. Luke Robitaille is an,
0: is a legend. I think he's, no <laughs> offense to the rest of our guests, but right now in his career, what he's accomplished as an athlete and a professional, he kind of smokes everybody right now. <laughs> his journey, Sam, is, is insane. What have you, I mean, there's so much to it. How have you prepared and what do you hope you get out of this interview with Luke Robitaille?
1: Uh, there's so much to get out of it. Um, I think just really listening uh, to what he has to say in general, but also um, realizing, you know, what, <clears throat> what might uh, drive him in terms of – because he's had so much success and it's easy for him to just kind of sit back and ride that wave for a little bit, but what really drives him every single day to do what he does um, – and I think it's just that, um, to, in simple words. I mean, it's, it's, it really seems like that he um, is on the right path and he's been on the right path, but he hasn't even slowed down. And I think that's the coolest part for me. And that's what I'm gonna be super curious about.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited because I think you and him, we're gonna find out through this conversation, but I think there's so many similarities of how you were raised, how you developed, the competitive nature of yourself as a performer, as a young man. For him, obviously, as an adult and a husband and a father, uh, this is a special interview. Let's not waste any more time in bring in Luke Robitaille. Want to welcome in Luke Robitaille to the Season of Sam podcast. Luke, Sam and I are, are more than thrilled to have you on this show. And for personally for me, after diving into your story and getting to know you through some of our mutual friends, um, what excites me the most is the the chip on your shoulder and how uh, it was built and cultivated and kept. And and for me to start this conversation out, I want to ask you, when you hear the the name Tom Glavin, what jumps to your mind? Because I don't think a lot of people knew. I didn't know about that story of how Tom Glavin had a huge impact in elements of your career. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny. Like, I'm not sure, I mean, I never heard anybody say I had a chip on my shoulder, but when I come to think of it, I guess I, 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 my thing is like, it's not like I wanted to prove anybody wrong. It's more like I, I just wanted to live my dream, you know, and I figured I had a chance, but my Tom Glavin story is, it's kind of funny because, you know, when I was, uh, when I was a kid and junior in Canada, there was only one scout that had talked to me and it was a scout from, uh. From the, from the Kings. No one else had ever talked to me before, and I didn't have an agent. And so every time when I was at the draft, I, I, it got to the LA Kings team. It was the only team that I thought was interested in me, so I was always hoping to hear my name. And I think it was in the third round, the, uh, the Kings drafted Tom Glavin. And I joke today <laughs> that in those days, I didn't know that, but uh, uh, you know, he had told everyone, I'll never play hockey, I'm going to baseball. So, I joked people because I got drafted in the ninth round six rounds later and I said he this is how much the kings believed in me, even though people say you know that it's amazing they got i go they believed in me so much. There was a guy that says, "I will never play hockey. They still drafted him six rounds ahead of me that's all, that's how far down their depth chart I was
1: <laughs> that's awesome luke uh th- thanks for coming on. This is uh Sam darnold at I'm a huge fan of Kings hockey and have been a fan for um, pretty much my whole life. And uh, you're honestly such an idol to me, and I really just appreciate you coming on.
2: Pleasure, man. I love, I love what you're doing. I think it's really cool.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, so just kind of want to go into kind of how your transition into business um, came about. Um, just if you could just talk about maybe how curious you were as a player um, because it seemed like you just transitioned right into it, um, and I, I kind of want to, I'm just curious about how you fell in to becoming the president of the Kings, and um, how much hard work really, um, how much hard work was um, a part of it.
2: I, you know, the the thing for me is like, you know, when you're like a player, like a lot of times you 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 wonder why is management doing this? Why are they thinking this way? And I remember thinking that throughout my career. And I was always a student of the game, a student of organization. I was lucky that I played with a few great organizations, Detroit and the Rangers, and uh, and the Kings were my. I've, I've always felt that was my organization. This is where I started. That's my team. You know, I, I'm part of this crowd. Part of everything. Around this organization, so I always thought, well, if I ever have a chance to have a say, th- these are the things I'd love to 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 see, you know, like the the way you treat people and the building a culture and so forth. And uh, and I think when as I was getting near my career, I was fortunate that I got to pick my moment when I was going to retire. So in the, I would say in the last couple years, you know, I was starting to prepare and think that way. And then when it happened, I retired. It just happened that uh, we had a big turnover with the Kings, and uh, we'd hire this great GM, Dean Lombardi. We he, he hired a coach. So at the time, the CEO of AEG asked me what I want to do, and I said, you know, my whole career, I've been kind of like agreeing and 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 doing whatever it takes to, you know, for a team, because you know, as a player. You know, a lot of time you don't agree with them, but you have to do them if you want to be part of the team. So I said, I think for the first time in my life, this is about me. So I'd like to take care of me. And uh, so I, I saw that there was a hole with the Kings organization where, on their on their business side, there was really no one taking charge of it. There was no culture. There was no one talking about it. Everybody was just going about doing their business, and that was it. So. Uh, the first year, I was a consultant for them, and I kind of studied the organization. Went to all the meetings. I was fortunate that they they let me go to scouting meetings and and different business meeting. And I, I realized that was the biggest miss with the organization. I felt like on the hockey side, on the sports side, our guys were doing the right thing. They had a plan, but I didn't feel there was any long term plan with the with the organization as a whole. So that's where I started. That's how I started with that.
1: You, you mentioned in the beginning, too, how you can kind of see, um, or I guess when you were a player or maybe even a younger kid, you can see how management could be better or you could make it better. And I kind of see myself, you know, whenever I watch a show or a sports show, I can kind of see myself saying like, hey, if they did this, it might be a little bit better. And I, I also see a little bit similarities in not just that aspect of our lives but also in the fact that we both kind of burst onto the scene in LA which is a which is a crazy town to burst onto the scene in and um I just kind of wanted to get um your your advice maybe on how you dealt with the noise that comes with being a star in LA and um how you handled it um with you know, bursting onto the scene the way you did.
2: Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is like people you say, oh, it's impossible to play hockey in LA when I started, you know, and and I would tell people, I go, actually, I think it's a lot easier because for me, once you get on the field or you get in uh, in an arena for us, it's the same arena as anywhere else, you know. There's fans, there's a lot of people, but it's the same, you know. So if I always took it that way. Hockey was hockey for me, so. I never separated, you know, any of that. Like the good thing I would tell people, I said the best thing for me being from Canada, I was like in January when you have to get out of bed and get in your car and heat it up for 15 minutes because it's so cold. Here in LA, I could take the top down and keep going, you know, and it's sunny. <laughs> I said I I think it's a lot easier from that standpoint. So I kind of looked at it from a from a good standpoint of view. But to tell you the truth, I think if you're passionate about what you do and if you really love what you do, no city, no money or anything like that should change you for how you feel about the game that you love. You know, I mean, it's like you look at the best player in sports, like whether it's Tom Brady or Frost Crosby. I mean, they got all the money in the world, but they don't seem to care. They're trying to be better at what they do every day. And that's what makes, you know, like players great is – what are you willing to do to get better tomorrow, you know, or today?
1: And what what maybe, um, because I know you just said Crosby's the best player in the game, but a lot of people might say Ovechkin is, and just kind of curious, honestly, of why you said Crosby and what maybe is it about his game that drives you to say that?
2: Well, I mean, Alex Ovechkin is the, is the greatest goal scorer for the last, whatever, 10 or 15 years to play the game. I, we, we all believe, like a guy like Sidney Crosby, he just he's a great player, but what he does to help your team win, there's mm-hmm. no one else in our league that could do as much as him. And it's not just scoring goals or getting points. It's the, it's the, the attitude he brings towards the game that makes him so special. He is he is a once in a lifetime type of player. Like he, his talent is is above most people, but his character and his work ethic is like you could take the, the 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 best grinder you have on your team or or the guy that you know you hear about like that has no talent that's willing to never give up and work hard and never in practice. And that's Sidney Crosby, but then yet he's a superstar, and he's doing that. And that's right. why we all say in our game he's the greatest player. I mean, right now the the best talent in our league is probably Connor McDavid, and he'll be the first one to tell you, he goes, oh, man, I'm nowhere near Crosby. Because we all know the respect Sidney Crosby's earned by his work ethic and what he's done on and off the ice, you know, for so many years.
1: And how hard how hard is that to see in maybe scouting a player because we talk about it all the time in football there's so many intangibles especially with playing quarterback. Um how hard is that to maybe see in scouting a guy like Sidney Crosby?
2: I think I think you can't see that in 3 4 games. If you you know if you have like someone you really have an eye on, you got to look a little deeper because, you know, if you can find heart, you can never, people underestimate hearts. There's a lot of talks about database and, you know, collecting it and, and looking at everything, every staff that can break down a player, but heart and willing to pay a price to be the best is something that's, that's how you become, you, your team becomes one of the best. I mean, you think of the 49ers back in the day with Joe Montana, and and you go, you go down the list of all the teams that had great success in sports, and their leader I'll always, you, you know, the kind, they're good people, and they have heart, and they work hard. I mean, it, it's amazing, you know. Like he, None of them were bad people, like all the top leaders, when you hear stories later, you know, and that's people, I think, underestimate that point.
0: Look, I want to follow up on that with you, Um Heard a story about you growing up, and how your dad worked at a scrap metal yard, and would come home, and you guys would build these pucks, and you would, you know, just hit them, hit them, and hit them. You'd bounce a tennis ball off your stick for hours, and you know, we kind of called this, that that call, we've called that the lonely work here on this podcast with Sam. And I think what excites me about both of you and similarities is the humble beginnings you came from and the work ethic that nobody saw, maybe the heart that you described moments ago, is that where you think that you cultivated your competitive temperament way back in the day that nobody knew about after just scouting you for a few games?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I I think back, you know, it was never work for me. It was just I loved it, and I was really trying to just get better. You know, yeah, my dad would, uh, I describe it, he would take the weights. There's weights around a tire. They're they're, – it's not metal. It's lead, and he would take a torch and melt them in a, in a dog uh, a, a can of food uh, for dogs. He'd melt them at the bottom, and they w- they would go at the bottom, and they would dry off and turn into a puck. And he would cut the cannon and just bring those at home. And they i mean—they weigh like a couple pounds. I was heavy to, to shoot. And so I'd practice that thinking my, my wrist shot would get better. And then I'd bounce a tennis ball against the wall. And it's kind of funny in my career. I don't know how many goals I got out of tip-ins, but I was one of the best in the game. And I never thought about it until years later when I read the book uh, Outliers. And I'm like, oh, I think I had my 10,000 hours of practice by the time I was probably 18, you know, because I kept – it, I never counted the hours, but I, I know I was practicing. I remember my friends would ask me to go out in the summer say, hey, we're doing this, guys, I was playing. I'm going, no, I'm going to go play a hockey game. And it was it's funny, the irony. Most, a lot of them were better players than me at the time, and I ended up being the only one that made it in the NHL. You know, it's kind of because, you know, everybody plays hockey in Canada, and I would just constantly try to just get better. That was my thinking.
1: So you always talk about, or I guess me and Yogi always talk about how fun sports are and just how fun sports are to watch the stories that are included in sports. And um, you just mentioned, I mean, just playing hockey and uh, practicing, you know, shooting the puck with your, with your dad. And I did the same thing with my dad, you know, throwing the football around in the front yard. And um, it was always, it was always so fun for me and seems like obviously it was a blast for you, but um, coming down the stretch here in the season for us, it, a lot of guys on the team, myself included, um, sometimes it can feel like work and um, there's a lot of late hours watching film and trying to get better in certain areas of my game. I just wanted to get your um, opinion on you know, the balance between work and having fun and is there a balance there and how, how did you cope with that um, during your career?
2: Uh, I don't know what the balance is. That's a great question, by the way. I I don't know what the question. I'm trying to think of my career. There were days where it felt like work. It's more like you know when you're injured, as you know, you know, and you got to go to practice, and you're fighting through those you know those those small injuries you have, and and then you, you got to battle through. And you're right, like you know, for you guys, the tapes, you know, it's it's so long, but. Um, if I were to give you an advice or anyone an advice, I would say, and it's funny, our coach wrote that on the on the on the on his board this year. He says he wrote, "Enjoy the grind," because as much as you think like watching films or practicing every day is hard work, it is the greatest life you'll ever get to live. You know, there is absolutely nothing better. That's why every guy that retires, say they miss the room, they miss the game, and there, you know, they, there's nothing like it. You will never get the feeling you get in the locker room when you can tease each other, where you can have this. Like no one, very few people in this world gets to to feel this kind of like uh, to be a kid for ten, fifteen years. You know, again, from the time you hit your twenties till when you retire. By the time you retire and you go in the real world, it's totally different. I mean, it's you'll never get that feeling again. Every, it's it's there's something very sacred about being in the locker room and celebrating a touchdown or having a good practice and patting your buddy on the on the back, you know, for just making a good play. And it's just it's people don't live like that. And it's you know as much as it seems work you know there's just really nothing like it it's it's, uh, so I like that what our coach wrote like enjoy the grind because it is a grind sometimes it's hard physically and mentally because you always got to get better you got to win the next game the people don't understand the pressure what players are under but it's still the greatest life though
1: and is that is that maybe why you became still part of the Kings organization and that's maybe why you worked so hard to get there as you mentioned the last couple years of your career you were really you were talking to a bunch of people figuring out ways to become part of the organization is that because you knew how much you would miss it? Uh,
2: I'm not sure I I don't think I was thinking how much I was going to miss it I was thinking because you don't know when you're going to retire what's going to be your next step in life you know and uh, I think it was for me I just Loved the game so much, and when I saw an opportunity I could get involved with the game I love so much and the organization that I cherish and and make a difference, I didn't even hesitate once, you know, I jumped right in. And from that standpoint, I think that's why I did it. Uh, I'm not sure I was thinking, you know, oh, God, you know, uh, I got to find a way, you know, I was more like, okay, this is an opportunity, I'm going to jump on it.
0: Luke, I've been told a story about you, and I'm curious if it's accurate, but you know, you played, you know, had an illustrious career, Hall of Fame, one of the top players ever. You got a statue outside of Staples Center, and I was told you've never once in your career turned down an autograph request from a fan.
2: Well, I don't think I did. I hope someone will we'll call and call them out on it. You know? <laughs> but no, I, I just, you know, this is what I tell every once in a while we get our players, and I see them walk out, and they're kind of annoyed, and I, and I tell them, I haven't told all of them, but I've told a few. I go, look, when you were 16 years old, if I would have asked you, say, if you could play in the NHL in three years, okay? But here's the caveat, you know, everything will come with it. You'll get the fame. You'll get your money. You'll maybe win a Stanley Cup and so forth. But there's one thing you're going to do. You're going to have to sign a million autographs. <laughs> I said, I'm 100% sure at 16 you'd say, absolutely, Mr. Robert, I would do
1: it. <laughs> Luke, la- last question for me is I I just I'm so curious. I got to know what what it's like having a statue outside of Staples Center because you see all the great players from different sports who have a statue outside of that arena. It's what what runs through your head? Maybe maybe the first couple years of when it was out there. Um what 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 are your feelings that you get when you when you see that statue?
2: I think it's it's humbling, you know. I I never looked at myself as a guy that would have a statue or have a jersey retire or let alone be in the hall of fame i kind of still look at myself as the kid that was just trying to get better every day and it's kind of the way i live my life now you know on running the kings we're trying to get better every day and i never kind of stop on on enjoying the past it's 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 a little humbling The, the other day i was walking and i and I try to not look, you know, but I saw it, and I saw it was right next to Magic, Magic Johnson. I'm like, man, you know, it's freaking Magic Johnson. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so so it, it's, it's a weird thing for me to uh, to even address, you know. It's a very, very humbling. That's the only words I could come up with.
0: Oh, look, th- this is incredible. And before we let you go, um, I know for Sam it's going to be humbling to, to hear an answer for you on this, but when you watch him play, um, a lot of great players that I've watched, I always think the number one quality is instinct. And do they play with an instinct? And what is their instinct? I'm curious for you as as a Hall of Famer, as an iconic performer um, on competitive stages, big ones at that, when you watch SC play and Sam play the quarterback position and burst onto the scene as he has, what jumps into your mind as an evaluator, as a competitor?
2: Instinct and passion tour. And that, those are things, like you could teach As you know, Sam, you, you can teach anything. You know, you can get stronger you can get quicker i believe you know uh you 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 can learn routes you can learn play but there's a couple things in sports you cannot teach you know you can't teach passion and you can't teach instinct and that's what makes makes you know very few players great Like, can I mean you you look at different guys that have played the game and you know the way the way they're going about it and and what made them great is their instinct and passion and it's just you can't teach that in any sport you know and that's you know when you got that you know you got to enjoy the ride (laughs) enjoy the grind
0: (laughs) oh luke we enjoyed this ride it was not a grind at all thank you for taking the time out of your day it's early in the season uh sam and i definitely want to wish you best of luck as the kings get going
2: all right thank you guys it was great talking to you
0: you got it thanks man talk to you soon
2: good luck okay
0: yep thanks luke you too
2: okay Bye. bye
0: all right, see you, man. A big takeaway for me is that I see similarities of you two of how you started. You know, he talked about passion and instinct. When you talk to him and listen about him hitting the puck or hitting a tennis ball hundreds and thousands of times, did you flash back? You, had, you, you brought in a little story yeah. about you and your dad playing catch. Did you have similarities there?
1: Yeah, um, even last night. I mean, because I just have a football in my room that, you know, sometimes me and my roommates will toss back and forth, maybe break a couple glasses here and there, but um, no, we'll just toss it back and forth. And last night I was just, as I was thinking about what kind of questions I wanted to ask Luke, I was kind of just tossing it um, you know, up to myself and laying on my bed, just tossing it back and forth. And um, I think that just without even thinking about what I was doing, just that kind of passion for the sport that I play and. Um, just being able to go out there and um, be able to toss the ball around with my friends whenever I want without it feeling like okay. it's a job. I think that goes back to you know, being able to have fun even when it is a grind.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, we, we talked about that in the beginning of this podcast. You, know, you guys just come off a game against Oregon State. You got Utah this coming weekend. And here we are talking to Luke Robitaille about the fun and how much fun it is. And at 16, when all, you would give everything to be USC's quarterback right. to now being twenty, yeah. right? And and you are USC's quarterback, and all the attention and the hands and everybody's asking for a million things. But remembering that it was that dream with you as a kid throwing the ball maybe to your bed to yourself and your bed, yeah, for many.
1: yeah. And I think this this podcast with Luke is um, really showed me to just embrace every single moment that I have because, um, and you know, I talked um, I talked to Carson. I mean, a couple weeks ago, and I'll never forget what he said. Just um to live in the moment because before i know it it's going to be gone and um, whenever that time comes um, i'm going to look back on memories even talking to luke and being able to you know go out there on the practice field of howard jones kennedy field just being able to live live out my dream of playing usc football and sometimes in the grind and in the busy weeks of watching film and practicing sometimes that can get lost. And I think it's good to have conversations like this about just embracing it and loving it and remember why we play the game. I love it.
0: Another guest on the Season of Sam podcast, Hall of Famer, Jersey retired, statue (laughs) out front of Staples Center, drafted after Tom Glavin, and it is October. So we're gonna wish the Dodgers and our boy over there good luck who came on the podcast earlier this month. And we're gonna take a break here, Sam, but I'm gonna talk to the leader of the Misfits. Chris Hawkins, <laughs> he says that he talks the best trash among the DVS. Apparently, so we're gonna dive into that. One of the five graduates on USC's team. Any advice as we talk
1: to one of the misfits? Uh, any advice for, for for interviewing Chris Hawkins for interviewing him? Uh, be careful. Um, yeah. You might you might set yourself up for him to talk trash to you. Um, <laughs> but um, no, Seahawks. Seahawks is a great guy and. I know that whenever he whenever he says something to me on the practice field, it's out of love. And uh, no, Seah- Seahawk's awesome, and um, he's one of the guys also who um, took me in a little bit under his wing um, when I first got here as a freshman because he was he wasn't necessarily an older guy, but he was one of the guys who fit in with that crowd. And you know, ever I can't thank him enough for what he's done. and He was part of that group, um, that kind of well um, it made it easy for me to kind of segue into a leadership role um, early in my, you know, USC football career.
0: All right. Well, that's Sam Darnold. No, know you're off. You just heard from Luke Robitaille. We'll be right back with senior captain safety. Chris Hawkins. Welcome back. Here we are with Chris Hawkins, the captain, defensive back. Chris, first and foremost, I got to ask about the Misfits. What
3: is the Misfits? What is that nickname all about? And break it down. Uh, the Misfits is something that the defensive backs as a whole, we call ourselves. Uh, It's it's basically how we, the style of play that we have on the field. You know, we're reckless. I mean, we make plays on the ball, and we don't really care, you know, what the offensive player thinks about us. You know, it's just the way we go about ourselves. As you can see, we all talk a little, a little crazy to the offensive players when we're on the field. (laughs) You know, our our, uh, defensive back coach doesn't like it too much, but... I mean, it's just a swagger that we have about us. Where does, like, the Misfits come from? Is that, like, in the meeting
0: room? You're like, all right, what are we going to call ourselves? All right, we're the Misfits. That'll be be great.
3: Yeah, well, over the summer, we uh, decided to, you know, take on, you know, a nickname because, I mean, we're all returners. I mean, we've all put in a lot of time with the team. And I felt like we were one of the best secondaries in the country. And so we needed something. You know, UW last year had the, the dog pound or whatever. So we decided we wanted something that you know people can know us by, and then we, we brought on the misfits. I think we actually have some shirts being made right now. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we're, we're taking that on full head of steam.
0: Okay, so I, I played receiver mm-hmm. growing up and when I was in college. Um, you obviously defensive back. Mm-hmm. Take us inside the game a little bit of the smack talking that occurs in game between yeah. receivers and DBs, because it's hard to be a DB right now. It is like yeah. the worst position to play in this era of talented quarterbacks and spread offenses and up-tempo systems? Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, talking smack is a part of a defensive back's game. I mean, if you go back to all the greats, I mean, Champ Bailey, Brian Dawkins, all those dudes, Deion Sanders, they all talk crazy to the to the receivers, and it's just something that has to be done, I think. I mean, because once you're in a receiver's head and he lets you get in his head, I mean, then there's he can't get out. There's no way he can get out, and... I mean, it's hard for him to play a good game because he's so worried about what you're doing, and I the same could be said the the opposite way. I mean, if they're if they're if a receiver is mossing you all over the field and he's talking crazy to you, then you don't really have anything to say, and so it gets you out of your game because you're worried about where is he at? I want to hit him and things like that, and then you get away from the scheme of the defense. But I mean, if you're if you're talking mess the right way and you're playing when you're making plays, then I mean, it's the best of both worlds. Right,
0: I'm curious for you because the reality is, look, DBs are gonna get beat sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Where for you, because you've had an interesting journey. Yeah. You know, you play corner, uh-huh. obviously you're playing safety, you're a captain, you're a graduate, one of five on the team.
1: Yeah.
0: When did you feel that you had real grounded confidence versus hyped up confidence like majority of young players have when they come into college and expect yeah. to be maybe better than they're prepared
3: to be at this level of competition? Yeah, uh, I mean, I would say I got my full confidence probably when I was halfway through my sophomore year I mean my my I redshirted my first year as a redshirt freshman I was starting but at the same time it was it was a little iffy because I was my first my first start in college I was like 18 years old I I was shaking scared and then the then the following season they they moved me to safety and I wasn't fully confident then because I didn't know really how to play the game at a high level at that position because I've never played it before, and then halfway through the season, you know, something clicked and I was just making plays, you know, getting interceptions, making a lot of tackles, and 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 then I got fully confident, you know, in myself knowing that I can play defensive back in this in this league, and I mean it's it's held itself st- steady till now. I mean I'm I'm confident right now. I'm sky high confident right now. So. Every time I go on the field, I feel like there's nobody that can, that can beat me. And even if they beat me, I feel like it's luck. It's interesting. We had Ivan Lewis,
0: your head strength and conditioning mm-hmm. coach, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. He also raves about your leadership capabilities. And the truth is that your team right now, no bye weeks, as you know better than anyone. Yes. You're having to play young guys due to injury. So I'm curious mm-hmm. as a leader, have you pulled? Well, one of those young wideouts, offensive linemen, tight ends aside, because I'm sure, just like you said, when you were a young guy, you acted like you were ready for it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you walk into the call and you're like, Ooh, I, yeah. I, I might not be. Yeah. You know, how have you pulled guys aside to make sure that they can at least play with some of the confidence that you have at a very young age?
3: Yeah, I've talked to multiple, you know, other young guys. You know, just just basically telling them, you know, no matter what, you got to be ready for the situation at hand, you know. No matter how young you are, I mean, we don't have no option but to play you. So you obviously were good enough to come here, and you're obviously good enough to play in the game where you'll be red-shirting. So you know, I've talked to guys like Aaron Cro- Eric Cromenholt, you know, who really didn't show them as much confidence as I would like to see out of a, out of a true freshman that was actually playing. You know, so I, I took him to the side and basically told him you just just play your game, what you what you usually do. You know, show everybody how why you come here, why you, why you're so good, and then there's some guys like Jody Lewis, who whose confidence is sky high right now, even as a true freshman. So I don't really have to say too much to him; he's going to make his plays regardless. You know, I'm I'm interested in in, in your family backstory. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched a video
0: on you that will be linked at USC's Facebook page and it was your dad talking about you, and you said that after a game, as a senior in high school, your dad pulled you aside and said, hey man, you might not be good enough. You might not be ready to go play at USC. And you said that stays with you. Mm -hmm. Curious what it's like to hear that from someone that you've idolized, and someone that obviously raised you and mentored you. And then how have you put that to
3: work? Because here we are five plus years later from that conversation. Uh, That was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. And I mean, he was being 100% hundred percent serious when he when he told me that you know it was my it was one of the the worst games I had in high school football and as a as a high school football player as a as a four star and you know number one corner in California on the west coast you you're supposed to dominate you know your your the opponents you're going against especially you know in high school football so he felt like I wasn't being dominant like I should have been it was one of the worst games I played and I keep that with me today because he's always being true with me. My dad has always been one of the most, you know, influential people in my life. So he, that day was very influential. And I think, and I think he thinks the same thing now. If I've, if I have a bad game in college, he'll tell me we might have to start looking for a job. You know, the NFL might not be, you know, in your future. So that's something that's very humbling. You know, and I think that's why I play with the passion and the effort that I do. Expectations
0: for student athletes when they come to universities like USC. Mm-hmm are high, you're all usually the top corner or the top whatever in yeah. California, wherever yeah. you're from, even in the country. How do you deal with that? Because I think now it's, there's more hype around that than ever. And as we just talked about, there's a lot of young guys that are playing. I, and I just have to imagine you being a great source of someone to lean on for those young guys, because I, I feel like the pressure on the individual student athlete is 10X what
3: is being placed on him probably from the outside, which is already a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think you just gotta take it, I mean, day by day. The pressure's gonna come with it because you're coming to a great university like USC. And I think most of the pressure comes from the the people at home. You know, I remember when I was red-shirting, there was people, my friends at home, like, why aren't you playing, you know, things like that. And I, and I feel like most of it is that you don't wanna let those people down because they, they, they wanna see you play. They You know, you got people texting you, talking about, I'm watching the SE game. You know, hope, hope to see you ball out, but the reality is, you're red shirt and you're not going to get in, so they don't get to see you. So that that that's a big part of it. You know, just the at at home factor. You don't want to let people down. You know, you want to be the guy that plays as a true freshman, but in the reality of it, I mean, when I came into college, I was 162 pounds. I wasn't. You would have threw me out there. I would you got you would embarrass me. You know, and I'm glad the USC coaches didn't do that because I was able to put on 20 pounds in the off season. As a 17-year-old kid, and then it helped me for my future. We always talk about DBs. So you gotta have a short memory. Yeah. Did you did develop that.
1: You yeah. know,
0: because because I, I figure it's gotta stay with you if you get beat for a pass, but you've yeah. got to move to
3: the next snap with the tempo. And how have you processed that? Oh, uh, see, that was something that I had to build as a, you know, getting older and being wiser. You know, more and more snaps, more and more games. Because as a as a as a freshman as a sophomore you know eighteen nineteen years old you're like you get beat it's like oh my god like I just got scored on and then you're 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 thinking about that play and it's it's messing up the rest of the game for you because you're not really thinking clearly you're you're every time you go back to the sideline after a series you're thinking about how you got scored on and what that's gonna look like in film you know now that I'm a redshirt senior twenty two years old now it's like okay well that play's over I mean. You go through with the—it's not like you're going to get benched for one play, so it's not going to happen. So you just think about it. You think about it for that 30 seconds until the next play is ran, and then it's over with. And then you go home, watch the film, see how you can get better from it.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Out of all the USC safeties you grew up watching, who's the one that you idolized or looked up to the most? Uh, I actually grew up watching Terrell Thomas the most. Yeah? Yeah, because he's from Rancho, and And I I knew a Rancho kid, I knew he used to come back to the community and throw, you know, these little camps that we used to go to. So I I used to watch him the most, and to see him get drafted, you know, second round and be able to play the career that he did was was pretty impressive to me. I was on the coaching staff when he was
0: called T2 back then. Yeah, that's what I call him now. Yeah, Yeah. and I can remember him and Dwayne Jarrett, Steve Smith, I mean, just daily getting after it. Do you have a wide receiver that you get after daily and make sure that you practice the trash talk and you try to bring into the misfits on the field?
3: Oh, absolutely. Uh Deontay Burnett. Mm, best on best. Yeah, absolutely. You got I mean you you have to. I mean, you got one of the the best offensive players that we have, one of the best defensive players that we have, and you always have to, you know, go like Coach Heldon says is iron sharpens iron. Yeah. You always want to go against the best. And so every time I get the opportunity to to go down there and do one-on-ones, I you know, I love to go against him. Or that be playing outside or inside, you know, I love going against him because he's one of our best. I also like Steven Mitchell because he's one he's one of the more, the quicker the quicker guys you really have to have a game plan for to go against. And he was part of my class, so we have our, our inside battles as well. You talked about the moment in your, I believe, uh,
0: Richard's sophomore year where you felt as though it kind of clicked for you. Mm-hmm. As one of the leaders of this team and observers of all things on this team, was there a moment when you saw your quarterback Sam Darnold where
3: it clicked for him? The moment where I seen it click for Sam Darnold, I think it, I think it clicked for him when he was red shirting. If you want me to be honest, I would love that. Yeah, he uh, he used to kill us on scout team. And uh, and we knew he was gonna be good. We didn't know he was gonna be this good, but we knew he was gonna be good. He used to he used to really put us through some tough times. We used to have a uh Kinoto Hudson, one of our old our old coaches, used to make a tape of Sam just murdering us. And it used to it used to get bad every week. And we 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 ended up like being angry at it, so we used to try to go hard and scout team. Usually when you're just trying to get a look. And, you know, get through practice. We, we were really practicing super hard so that he wouldn't embarrass us anymore. That's incredible. We're going to ask him about that for sure. Um, I'm
0: curious for you as you observe Sam. Mm-hmm. And here's the guy at the quarterback position you know, especially here. You get way more praise than you probably deserve. Mm-hmm. And you get way more criticism than you probably yeah. have earned. How have you watched him deal with this season? You guys are winning games. Yeah. Um, but it seems as though, at least perceptually around the country, it's, well, it's just Sam have the magic that he had last year. And your guys around him every day.
3: Yeah. Uh we don't I mean, I don't see Sam listening to 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 none of that. None of the stuff on the outside. I mean, we're winning games. That's what that's what we came here to do. You know, everybody likes to blame Sam for everything. You know, they like to blame him for a Washington State game. He wasn't playing well or whatever. But at the same time, we gave up thirty points on defense. So that's not something, you know, we hold ourselves that's not the standard that we hold our defense to. You know, he gave us a tie game twenty seven twenty seven. If we stop him, we give him the ball back, then it's a totally different game. So we end up letting him drive down there and kick a field goal, which eventually won them the game. So, you know, we don't like to we're we're a team, we're one team, and that's what the leaders preach on this team. It's not about what he did or what they did, it's about what everybody did collectively. And we know Sam has our back and he knows we have his as well. And we know we know when it's time to get down to the real to the real get down, the pressure time, that he's gonna be there for us, just like he was in that Rose Bowl.
0: You're known to have incredible study habits. Mm-hmm. You have a midterm today. Yeah. Study habits preparing for this
3: midterm have been what? Oh, last night I was up to like <laughs> two. I think I was, I came to, to campus early so I can get some studying then, get a good breakfast. Now I'm here, now I got the midterm at 9.30. I don't know how 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 I'm gonna do, but hopefully I pass. You know, I, don't gotta, I only got to pass six credits this semester, my last semester, so I'm not really stressing about it, but hopefully I do well. And what is this in? Uh, occupational therapy. Strong, which is your minor,
0: yeah, right? You've already graduated yeah. in development and planning. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Last thing before we let you go, you are known, you may not be aware of this, as a media favorite. <laughs> Any reason in your
3: eyes why you think you'd be known as that? Uh, Do you have a desire to enter this field of media? uh, I mean, I have a a desire to do a lot of things. I think when it comes to me and the media, I'm always straightforward, and I like to have fun with it. A lot of guys like to be too serious, you know, when the camera gets in their face. I like to have fun with it. If you go back and look at uh, my interview after the Washington game last year, it was nighttime. It was like 10. We played him at 7.30, so it was like 11.30 at night. And I came out the locker room. I knew, I knew they were going to ask me questions, so I just came out ready to uh, shoot off answers. But I was having fun with it. I had, like, some dark shades on. I had, like, my chains sticking out with my jacket just so they would know. It was. It was. I like to have fun with the media. It's, it's never nothing serious. You know, they're not asking you nothing too serious to where you have to give a, a serious, straight cut, you know, answer to where it's, it's kind of stressful. So I like to have fun with it. I mean, I like being in front of the camera as well. You know, I I never like I never take anything too serious. So I think that's that's probably why I'm one of their, their favorites right now. All right. Well you're a favorite of the podcast. We appreciate uh-huh. you thank coming you. on. Appreciate that. it. All right. Uh, that is Chris you.
0: Hawkins on the Season of Sam podcast. As we wrap up another episode here in Heritage Hall, underneath all the Heisman trophies. I'm your host, Yogi Roth for Sam, Darnold, our esteemed crew, producer, executive producer, Tim Teslone, and the birthday man, Paul Goldberg. Special thanks to them, our producer. Katie Ryan, making sure all our guests show up here. Extremely excited for this podcast. Rich Rodriguez, the editor, cinematographer and all things on this podcast. Jordan Moore, director of social media. And, of course, all of you, thanks for joining us. Check us out at Apple Podcasts or uctrogens.com. Talk to you next week.